Hi, and welcome back to Did God Really Say That? One of the topics that has weighed heavily upon my heart is submission to the Word of God. There's so much debate surrounding the Bible as to how we are to interpret and apply Scripture. Perhaps we need to step back and question our view as to what the Bible really is as an entity. Its completion process took about 1,500 years and was inspired of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 states, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now obviously, this is challenged by those who do not profess themselves to be believers, who would ultimately contend that this is written by the hands of men, and ultimately deemed susceptible to failure. However, the church's view does not adopt this mentality. And so I will not discuss this matter in detail as I want to focus on another specific topic. We know that throughout history, many lives were martyred in an effort to compile the canon as we know it today. Apparently, in some cultures where access to this literature is limited, it is seen in higher regard than our culture where we can find any Bible in any dollar store. Yet, it is the world's best-selling and most widely distributed book. Interestingly enough, even though this is the case, it has almost become a sort of domestic ornament in which it is referenced like the encyclopedias of the old days. And I might suggest never truly studied for its intended purpose or value. The church, who should revere this book the most, might suffer from deficiency in this area. However, this deficiency is becoming more increasingly recognized and, praise God, has spawned a culture of textual criticism and a revival of scripture understanding. One question I would like to ask is, why bother reading and studying the Bible? As in my previous podcast, I quote 2 Timothy 3.16 regarding the Bible's purpose. But how much do we apply this scripture in reality? I've heard the Bible referred to as the good book. It has a certain whitewashed, feel-good connotation, much like the phrase, the man upstairs. It lacks a certain authoritative view, almost giving way to personal freedom rather than the notion of submission. The Bible's instruction has always been counter to the surrounding culture and somewhat bizarre in nature to the sinful desires of humanity. The culture would seek to redefine and interpret the intended message of Scripture in an effort to undermine the Holy Spirit's guidance. The term eisegesis has been used to identify this view of interpreting Scripture from personal motives rather than submitting to its authority. Certain theological movements would suggest that they are staunch believers in exegesis, the opposite view of scripture interpretation, where the believer understands the message in context and realizes its truth despite the view of the flesh or influence of the surrounding culture. I would, however, contend that we all fall short in total submission in exegetical views, and rightly so, as we are constantly battling the flesh in our sinful nature. You hear the accusations that you can't pick and choose scripture application like some kind of moral buffet, but everyone is subject to this as we have personal desires, life limitations, and cultural influence. For example, one person might be fervent on the application of not forsaking the gathering of believers according to Hebrews 10.25. The scripture's intention is to remind the church that they are in fact the church, and forsaking the fellowship can lead to isolation, 
further diminishing the effectiveness and personal satisfaction of being with like-minded people. This is encouraged even more so as the day of the Lord approaches, as the time will become increasingly perilous as the end times come to a close. So following the scripture is impactful and meaningful as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Following the scripture can be fairly doable in the American environment, so enriched with options for church gatherings. You hear phrases like, in the Bible Belt there are churches on every street corner. So this particular person might be fervent in the application of this passage as they have realistic access to achieve this demand. Let's take another person, however, who might be in a different scenario. Perhaps another person might find themselves in a time of lacking fruitful church searches. Our family has experienced this personally with our military background, constantly getting uprooted and having to integrate ourselves constantly in new church environments. And by the way, I have much to say on this topic, but Lord willing, we'll discuss this at a later date. Perhaps this person might have to, for a limited time during the search, have to be temporarily isolated until a time of fellowship can be achieved. Again, I have personally experienced a criticism for violating the scripture during a time of fruitful church searching, and I caution the use of the standard church joke. If you want to find the perfect church, you need to remove yourself. We live in a time of many differing doctrines, and finding a church that you feel comfortable regarding your convictions and being integrated with might pose a significant challenge. It's true that there are many churches with large denominations and abundant service opportunities, but not, might not fit in line doctrinally with what you believe. And by the way, I'm thankful for resources like Nine Marks, which was introduced to me some years ago. But I have found this is really not the total answer to finding the right church. In essence, Nine Marks will help certain motives regarding doctrines to be closely aligned to what you believe, but you still have to factor in the character of the church body. And again, this can pose a challenge depending on your personal desires as you are compelled by what convicts you and how you want to align yourself in submission to scriptural view. Let's be real. A church can have the greatest expository teaching with robust Bible classes, but still be a cold church where fellowship may lack, or lasting heartfelt connections might be a fruitless pursuit. So we have two different viewpoints on the same scripture, and I want to revisit the first person's view on submission to Hebrews 10.25. The same individual might view another scripture in a less authoritative manner. For example, they might view 1 Timothy 2.12 regarding the prohibition of women teaching men or having authority over them as being more optional. It's interesting how people could suggest that the authority in Scripture suggest that they have authority in Scripture, but slam their brakes when ones like this come up. I don't care if someone professes to be from a Bible-studying and theologically trained environment. They are literally doing what they might be accusing other Christians of in reference to treating the Bible like a buffet. This is where we as Bible interpreters like to insert context, metaphorical views, or whatever. For example, I have read commentaries regarding this particular scripture, and the common response is, well, the Corinthian church was unruly at the time and had some women that Paul had to specifically address. Well, my response to this assertion is, why did he reference creation in 1 Timothy 2, 13-15? It states, For if Adam, who was first, created, and then Eve... And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a wrongdoer. But women will be preserved through childbirth if they continue in faith, love, sanctity, and moderation. This particular passage 
might be taken literally by another person's interpretation of Scripture. I have to say about this. I have much to say about this particular topic at a later date, but I want to remain focused on the illustration I'm trying to make. No one is exempt from applying their own form of eisegesis to the Scriptures. It might be under the guise of context used with an underlying implication of presupposition. Let's face the issue here. Sometimes our natural inclination is to adhere to Scripture when it is convenient to the context of our lives and surrounding culture. I rarely ever see passages like this exercised in a literal manner. I also want to address this notion of context. The premise behind context is to safeguard Scripture from being misinterpreted. The author was surrounded by culture and presuppositions that were stifled and providentially put to writing by the Holy Spirit. Let me give an example of a widely contested scripture in context. I had someone tell me once, I hate when people use Jeremiah 29:11 out of context. The verse states, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The implication is that in contextual reference to the next two verses of this passage, this was exclusive in meaning to Israel's disobedience and promises for, their, for heeding these words. So all the people who have this scripture printed on their mantles or decorative items from Hobby Lobby, you are really just quoting a historical statement in specific biblical context. I'm not going to discuss promises in the Bible at this time, but as you can imagine, Lord willing, I will discuss it later in a different podcast. But here's my concern with throwing out the term context so loosely. It seems to remove a practical and applicable view of Scripture based on its moral impact. What I mean by this statement, if we specifically apply this verse captured in Scripture for us today, it presents itself to a more historical view of Scripture. We can look through the lens of time and say Israel historically rebelled against God, but dispensationally laid the foundation of the salvation message for the new covenant to which we enjoy grace today. It helps to understand God's character and his love for his people, and how he will chasten them, well, because he loves them. However, am I to believe it has no practical meaning to us today other than that? Or, perhaps the church can parallel this metaphor in its active pursuit of the Great Commission. The church might be chastened by God in similar disobedience, but yet he still loves his church and its purpose. But is that all we can gather from a passage like Jeremiah 29.11? So by this thinking, we can compartmentalize or blanket the Bible as a great and wonderful piece of literature with much historical content, with no literal expectation of moral submission standards. So then why would anybody deem it important to read and obey the Bible? What about wisdom literature, such as Proverbs? What do we make of these passages? After all, in context, Solomon is imparting Holy Spirit-inspired moral wisdom. Maybe the Bible is like a choose-your-own-adventure book for those who might have experienced this childhood phenomenon. You follow along with a story, and then suddenly you are given a list of choices that, depending on your response, will dictate the direction of the book. Only in practical terms we can parallel this with a bit of history and background and interesting stories with a specific section of options to apply to the overall story. Can we infer the Bible is a mix of poetry, history, literature, instructions, prophecy? While this may hold true, we can be very liberal with our interpretation of Scripture. I was speaking to a co-worker regarding Paul's statements of the prohibition of women in the church fulfilling a pastoral role. 
His initial response was that Paul was fallible and might have exhibited a little bigotry that was more commonplace in his day. So essentially, by that statement, we can infer that his words were just Bible filler, and the Word of God cannot accurately stand up to the ever-changing culture that surrounds it. Perhaps we might even need to change it. Obviously, that thinking is nonsense, but how do we truly view the literal nature of following Scripture? I find that no matter what theological background you identify with, the majority view tends to avoid these topics. After all, grace covers all, and our obedience to Scripture really has large, carnal, short-term impacts, but apparently has little eternal detrimental value. Simply put, why even care about adopting a literal view of the Bible? Isn't it easier to metaphor away or dismiss passages for the lack of cultural relevance in an effort to minimize ridicule or hardship for the convenience of your life? Romans 8.18 states, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Uh-oh. I guess in context this applies to someone who is being physically persecuted for the deliverance of the gospel message. So really, I can't apply this to the lesser persecution of following God's word. I'm sorry, I just don't see it this way. God's word means so much more to me than simply being called the good book. Another aspect of how we view the Bible that I would like to address is its role regarding the Trinity. I don't think anyone would question the authority of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think most people who understand the Bible Understand, these are the three persons in one who must agree or there would be a significant loophole in your doctrine. And I'm not here to discuss topics such as subordinationism or Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs in Jesus being a lesser deity. That foolishness I choose to defer for the sake of remaining on track with my intended topic at hand. So basically, if you subscribe that the Word of God is infallible because it was penned by the Holy Spirit, then we must inevitably come to the conclusion it cannot contradict itself. What I mean is the Holy Spirit does not have some kind of higher status or rank than the Word of God. John chapter 1 states, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Psalm 138.2 states, I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your mercy and your truth, for you have made your word great according to all your name. Any member of the Trinity will never contradict itself, even with the Word of God. So I would contend that even though this is not typically seen as an entity of the triune God, it really has equal relevance. Sometimes I think certain theological movements would like to suggest a progressive movement toward new avenues of God's plan of salvation. For example, someone of female gender might suggest that the Holy Spirit has compelled them to be a pastor. How can this be? If scriptures penned by the Holy Spirit have a different standard, then I would question the motives of that person and their interpretation of the Spirit's leading. Malachi 3.6 states, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, the sons of Jacob, have not come to an end. I hear a lot of people use this verse to justify why certain commands are still relevant today. I'm so grateful this holds to be true. How can we trust a God who adapts and changes with the times at the mercy of his own creation. That does not sound like an all-powerful and sovereign God. I think at its root, we underestimate the value of obedience to the scriptures. Do I understand? Do I understand there are literal and metaphorical views both contained in scripture? Sure I do. 
I wouldn't literally cut off my hands if they caused me to sin according to Matthew 5.30. But I ensure you this verse is not fluff. Sin isn't something to play around with. A deeper look into the scripture would yield the understanding that sin can pave a path to hell. When considering eternity, cutting off your hands on a temporal body is a far lesser consequence. We often laugh at this scripture as it is so widely used to justify the denial of literal interpretation of scripture. But do we truly understand the consequences of sin? It might compel us to take a more serious approach to heeding scriptural wisdom. I contemplated unpacking Revelation in its literal or metaphorical interpretations, but to be fair, this topic deserves its own podcast. It seems like we tend to make the Bible submit to our own expectations. It's true we might yield in certain areas that are traditionally feasible and accepted by the greater majority, but how many people strive to yield their lives in its entirety to obeying Scripture? When it costs something, that's when we start justifying our interpretation. Would it be safe to assume that obedience to the scriptures do not depend on the approval of the surrounding culture? How do we truly regard our Bible in a culture where there is much more interesting literature to occupy our minds with? Is it tedious for us to carve out time of our day to the reading of scripture? In a world that is steadily declining in morality and true beneficial wisdom, is the Bible not a breath of fresh air? We hear the teaching of Jesus passed down to his disciples and subsequently passed down through the ages of the church. Paul warned Timothy of the importance of maintaining the integrity of his teaching. Christ desires the pure and spotless bride ready for his return. Shouldn't we align ourselves with his teaching, even if it means losing out on the carnal benefits of a sinful and dying world? When we trust in God and his perfect teaching with submission and a rejection of our own presuppositions, we can find a more fruitful existence for his glory and relish in its eternal implications. Giving our lives to Christ requires total submission. Why shouldn't we act accordingly as though we truly believed him at his word? I want to thank you once again for listening to this podcast. I look forward to unpacking new topics in the future. Until then, may God go with you in the challenging pursuit of being the pure and spotless bride for the glorious day of his return.